This is Barrels and Barrels, a bourbon and baseball podcast with your hosts, Brandon Spinner and Michael Burns. And welcome to Barrels and Barrels, a bourbon and baseball podcast. I am Brandon. Usually I have Michael Burns alongside me, but he is out playing a baseball game tonight. So we're going to have a special guest join us here in just a few. If this is your first time listening, welcome in. Thank you. This is Barrels and Barrels, a bourbon and baseball podcast where we talk high proof and high heat, all things baseball, all things bourbon. You can find us on YouTube. If you haven't already, go hit the subscribe button below. We're at 672 followers coming into this episode, growing fast and furiously. So head on over there. We've got a lot of exclusive content you can only find on YouTube. We've got our Thieves of the Week. That's the best plays in baseball on defensive side of the ball. Uh, so go check that out. We just popped one up. Our top five Thieves of the Week from last week. That's on our YouTube page. Our top ten power rankings brought to you by 10th Mountain Whiskey, as well as our Thieves of the Day, or just some random YouTube shorts that we throw up. You can also find us on Instagram at Barrels and Barrels Pod, Facebook at Barrels and Barrels Pod, TikTok at Barrels and Barrels Pod. Email us at barrels and barrels at gmail.com. That is barrels, the letter N, barrels at gmail.com. And we're on what used to be Twitter, now known as X. At Barrels and Barrels. Find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts, as well as Google, iHeart, and Amazon Podcasts. Don't forget to hit that five-star rating. And if you'd like to leave us a review, we'd love to hear your thoughts. Just leave that in. Give us your 100% honest thoughts and opinions. We give you our 100% honest thoughts, opinions on the whiskey we review and our baseball takes. So we'd love to hear the same from you. We're at 20 out of 20 five-star reviews on Apple and 14 out of 14 five-star ratings on Spotify. Last but not least, we've got merchandise for sale. I'm wearing it here on YouTube. You can find the Barrels and Barrels shirt. That is at charliemikeneverweekend.com. Our friends over there from Charlie Mike Never Weekend. And also, we've got glassware. I'll be drinking out of that. Our special guest, Keith, that you see here on YouTube, he's drinking out of one of the glasses as well. And just in today, literally, they came in the mail today. Finally, after weeks of waiting, our hats are finally in, and we will get those shipped out later on this week. We still have a few available for purchase, so head on over to our Instagram page. We've got that link tree set up in our bio. And that's where you can find the link for that. So without further ado, I'd like to welcome in this week's special guest. We've got Keith Kurlansky. You know him on Instagram, at New England Whiskey. Keith, first of all, thanks for joining us, brother. How are you doing today? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you. Happy to have you. Uh, first, right off the bat, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, you know, excited to, um, excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Um, I'm up out, out here in Boston, so that does make me by trade a fan. Uh, <laughs> so, um, you know, I, uh, you know, I'm a, you know, big Sox fan going way back into the day. You know, grew up hating the Yankees, and mm-hmm. you know, Cubs were always my favorite um, NL team too. You know, oh, you got the, go. that old school, that old ballpark. You know, kind of the, the, the drought together. You know, we've there's we've a been lot there. of parallels. Yeah, exactly. Totally a lot of parallels. So you're a big Red Sox fan. If you're watching on YouTube, you can see Keith is wearing a Red Sox jersey. May I ask who's on that jersey? So this actually is a clothing company in Boston that spoofs oh, everything. So th- this is made to look like a Red Sox jersey, but it's Oh, cup. I can't see underneath. Okay, there we go. I see it now. Yeah. But Okay, uh, cool. So he's got the Red Sox patch. Yep, yeah, there it is. 
Yeah. So, and he's wearing a Bourbon Thieves hat. We are both Bourbon Thieves members, and Keith is a Bourbon Thieves ambassador. We'll talk more on that here later on in the episode for those whiskey and bourbon fans. Uh, and speaking of whiskey and bourbon fans, he's also sent two blind samples for me to try. We're going to give those a rating, going to give my guesses on what they are. Uh, he sent Michael some as well, but Michael can't be here because of a last-minute baseball thing. So we will get Michael's reactions and ratings on a different episode or on a, um, on a different review later on, which you can find on YouTube as well as here on our Spotify and Apple Podcast links. So, Keith, you've listened before. You've been listening for a long time. You know how the, the show goes. We are on episode 38, so we're starting with the best number 38 in MLB history, and I don't think that this is even close to having anybody else, and I'm assuming you did more research than my cohort, Michael Burns, usually does. So do you know who the best 38 in baseball history is? So I was looking it up, and I was surprised at how few players have worn it for multiple years. It was... There, there were some big names on that list, but only a year here or maybe two years. So, I mean, I think the guy that wore it the longest um, kind of runs away with that. Um, you know, speaking of, you know, Red Sox, he has yeah. one of those most iconic moments as a, as a Red Sox pitcher that I can imagine as well. So, I mean, to me, it, it goes uh, to Kurt Schilling there. Yeah, and I, I think it's a slam dunk as well. Kurt Schilling not only wore it the most years of his career, 16, that is most of any player, he has the third most most wore amongst any player who's ever worn the jersey. The only two ahead of him, Steve Carlton, who only wore it for two years, and Robin Roberts. No, not the Good Morning America host, Robin Roberts, but the baseball player who played for the Orioles and the Astros back in the early 60s. He only wore it for five years. Schilling wore it for 16, had a 79.5 war in his career. When it comes to the next best player, at least in longevity, 15 years for Rick Aguilera, former uh, New York Met and Minnesota Twin, as well as the uh, the closer for the Cubs and the Red Sox back in the day, I believe. And then Greg Minton was at 14 years with the Giants and the California Angels. A couple other names. I'm partial to Carlos Zambrano. He wore 38 for a dozen years in Chicago and a year in Miami at 43.9. He'd actually probably be the second best number 38 uh, by war and longevity. He had the second longest for the amount of war. So I'd say Kurt Schilling, of course, is a slam dunk World Series hero for you. 2004, yep. the bloody sock. Uh, he was on that 20, uh, 2007 team as well. So you got two rings with the Red Sox. But a lot of people know him with the Diamondbacks, but he spent most of his career actually in Philadelphia as a Philly. Out of his 16 years, eight of them were there. What are your memories of Schilling? Because you got to watch him up close in person, man. Yeah, I mean, I definitely I got to see him in spring training too when I was when I was much younger, and he had a really cool Hummer that he used to drive in in the paint. I remember the paint would change color in the light; it was like a rainbow, like always changing in, in the different light, and that was really cool. Um, but yeah, I mean, as a pitcher, you you think of him as a, a fierce competitor, right? You know, the, the bloody soft stands out as big as anything, um, going out there with that. And it kind of highlights what people didn't necessarily see on the day-to-day with him. He was, he was a gamer. He was passionate on the mound. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of, lot of screaming and yelling, a lot of times at himself, a bunch of the umpires as well, but that's part yeah. of the course as a pitcher. But, um, oh, oh, for sure. And that was back in that day when 
uh, it was a little more acceptable than nowadays, right? And nowadays, yeah. you're supposed to act all PG out on the mound, but uh, he had a lot of fire and an intensity, and it was a great career. Like I said, 79.5 war. So episode 38 is the Kurt Schilling episode, which is apropos because we've got a Boston Red Sox fan here. Uh, so Keith sent Michael and I some samples a couple of weeks ago. They're blinds, and I love doing blind samples and reviews because it's taking the bias, I think, of the label out of the equation or the name, right? Isn't that probably the biggest faux pas, I think, when it comes to whiskey is people hunt the label, not necessarily what's in the bottle. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, that's, you know, how it goes. And you look at it the same way in the free agent market. Sometimes you, um, you, you go, you go for the flashy names and, you know, right. some of the underlying stats, you know, the money ball stats, so to speak, right. don't, don't always work out that way if you just go with, with the shiny player. So, so, Keith sent over two samples. I have no idea what these are. Uh, we've got sample A and sample B. I'm going to give sample A a go at first. Uh, I'm drinking this out of our Barrels and Barrels 2-off glass, uh, which you can find on our link tree, as I mentioned already. Keith, what are you drinking? I know you, you had a pour there. Yeah, so I, um, I know we're going to talk maybe a little bit about them later, but I went with uh, Blue Run here. Oh, awesome. Can't go wrong with Blue Run. Yeah, I'm a big fan of what they're doing. Obviously, they they have some big news of their own that recently yeah. came out, so that's exciting for for the whole Blue Run team. And I'm excited to see where that that goes for them too. So, yeah, uh, and for those who haven't heard, Blue Run did acquire Molson Coors. Um, I believe the whole company, right? Yep, I believe so. Yeah. So they're going to be putting out uh, in charge of for those who also didn't know Coors brewing company actually was creating some whiskey as well uh which is actually pretty good stuff um pretty new to the scene i believe four year five year uh i tried um a blend from will who is whiskey whiskey chronicles out in seattle he sent me a, a blind of that a couple of weeks ago and it finished in he sent me six samples i think that was the number two pour out of the six so it's worth it i think it's around 40 45 bucks so congrats to blue run if you haven't heard already You'll go give them a holler. Uh, but yeah, cool stuff there. So right off the bat, I got a like a sweet candy nose on this to me. It's like a caramel creme brulee with some of that like, I like to call it like a gobstopper sweet tart type of deal. It's got almost a little bit of orange to the nose to me. Like a, a citrusy, citrusy caramel almost. And I think I get a little bit of cherry out of that as well. Obviously, you know what this is, so yeah. <laughs> you're like, oh, no, Brandon, you're totally wrong. Uh, oh, but, but I mean, that, that's, that's the whole fun of that side of it, so. Right. Um, while I give this a little sniff and uh, sample it, you tell our listeners and viewers how you got into whiskey, what your favorite whiskey is, or uh, what your go-to pour is on a day-to-day -day basis? Yeah. I mean, it really started for me during COVID. Um, you know, I was sitting here playing video games and realized if I'm going to be stuck in the house, I can't really be drinking 12 beers without being able to hit the gym at all. So, um, you know, I turned to something that you can drink neat and, and, you know, I tried a couple whiskeys and, you know, really got into it. Um, I got pretty lucky with my first couple bottles. I think my, my first three bottles were a Weller Antique 107, <laughs> a Stag Junior and a Blanton's. So, wow. I mean, all Buffalo Trace. Uh, <laughs> Which is kind of where it started. Tater. No, I hear you. <laughs> yeah, it was just, you know, I kind of walked into the corner liquor store and, you know, back then they were just sitting on the shelf, buy as mm -hmm. many as you wanted. So I bought three of each, you know, gave 
you know, gave the others to my brother and one of his friends on, on the stags. And, you know, it really, you know, started that journey. And obviously I, I've moved on from just Buffalo Trace products, as you can see behind yes. me. <laughs> um, He's got quite the collection. Yeah, yeah. I was building a new shelf before we jumped on this too. So I, I <laughs> Always expanding, expanding. Yeah. <laughs> That's you, and you think you have more space and you buy more bottles and then you realize you have to build a new shelf again real soon. So. Yeah, I just did an audit myself and I have way too many. I think you did one recently as well. Do you care to share how many bottles you own? Um, so when I did that count, it was at 375 exactly. It is now. now I don't feel as bad. <laughs> it, it's grown since then too, so we're probably close closer to four hundred now than wow. three eighty five. But out of that, about one hundred and eighty five of them were open. So yeah, um, you know, just about half of my collection is open, which makes bottle bottle killing so hard because you sit there and you have so many different things that are open, and it's That's tough how to it is with me. Yeah. Well, and you don't want to bottle kill either because some of the stuff that you have and you're ready to kill, you're scared you're never going to have again or uh, you don't have a backup. I always like to get a backup before I kill another bottle if it's attainable. Obviously, single barrels, you're never ever going to recreate that, but the closer you can. Uh, so I've got a couple that are literally on their last leg. I think both of these Bardstowns behind me literally have like just a drip or two left ready to go so right off the bat here when it comes to this this is a this is a warm pour uh, i'm gonna guess who i'm gonna guess probably 115 to 120 on the proof it comes out with some spice right up front i think that there's a higher rye portion to this i would say that the second ingredient in this is a rye if it's not a uh, a rye whiskey itself i'm leaning more towards because of the sweetness on the nose that it's a bourbon and the, the rye itself is probably 25 to 30%. That would be my guess. Obviously, this is all blind. I get some c cinnamon on it. There's some pepper to it. But also, I get a decent amount of oak out of all of this. Uh, it's a very good and delicious pour. Um, I would go to. I would probably say this is close to an everyday player, not an all-star. I've got to do a, a secondary thought on that to actually give this my official rating and for those of you who are just joining us we rate our whiskey on a uh, on a baseball rating scale which goes from hall of fame that's the top of the top second is all-star third is everyday player fourth is bench and then finally it's a dfa which means they're cut off the team just like the cincinnati reds cut luke weaver today off of their rotation a sad day for baseball betters everywhere. <laughs> Ain't that the truth? Ain't that that was an easy over and an easy win for the opposing team when it came to the Reds? Actually, it wasn't really easy because there, at some point he was like an 8.8 .8 ERA, but the team themselves were nine and one in his starts. But every game went over. Yeah, um. I'm going to go everyday player on this one. I think that this is very good. Uh, I think the one thing that doesn't um, take it to the all-star level is I do think that there's a little bit of that rye spice that would probably take a little bit away from it, uh, at least in my mind. I could be totally off base here on this one. I have no idea what this is, but I'm going to guess that this is higher rye, and I'm guessing this is probably 115 to 120, maybe 125. Um, who knows? It could be even hotter than that, but uh, it doesn't overpower you, I don't think. I think that there's a good heat to this for... The pour itself, it it's there. It, it announces itself, but uh, very good. And it coats the glass very well. And it's got a pretty 
I like the sweeter candy-ish nose, so I'm going to jump all over that. So your your proof point is is right there. It's one fifteen point nine. Okay. Um, so you're you're right there on on that. It is not a rye though. I don't know if you want to sample the second one first before before okay. I tell you what they both are or which way you want to do it. But your your proof point is right there. Okay. Well, I'll, let's sample the other one. Uh, so that's not a high rye at all, or a rye? No. It is not a rye. Nope. That's a weeder. Oh my. Yes, it is. It is a weeder. Oh my, so 115.9. What's a WLW? <laughs> it's up there, but yeah. yeah. It, uh, it, it, we, we did do two Bourbon Thieves picks, so okay. Bourbon Thieves have not done a WLW pick. So. <laughs> I don't think anybody has. <laughs> I mean, we'll, we'll, I think we'll do one if, if the opportunity comes up. Oh, up. 100%. Okay, this is... So on the nose, and I'm drinking this out of our Barrels and Barrels Wisdom glass, which is also for sale. This has a lot of legs, man. This almost looks like honey dripping down a jar um, inside the glass. So there's a lot to this. The color itself, to me, I'd say it's like a walnutty. Uh, also, my light in here is not the greatest, but I'd say it's more so walnutty. Uh, it's got a little yellow hue, hue to it, but on the nose, it's way different. Wow. Um, hold on a second. Two distinct pores there. <laughs> yes, for sure. Almost like an apple-y. It's going to sound weird, but like nail polish remover and apple is <laughs> what I'm pulling from this on the nose. It's not an, oh, like, it's going to sound weird, but. I also enjoy the smell of nail polish remover. So <laughs> uh, growing up with two females by myself, um, but it's got some funk to it. That's for sure. It's almost has like a dusty kind of nose to me. Like this makes me think it's an older and not older as an age, but back in the day kind of bottle where it was, uh, for those of you who don't know, a dusty is like one that's, got dust on the bottle, right? That's been sitting on the shelf for years in your grandma and grandpa's basement collecting dust and the cork itself is shriveled because it hasn't been touched in, in eons. Um, that's the kind of funk I get out of this. Almost, man. There's a little earthiness to it, but I don't think it's overly earthy. It's It's got a... It's, I think the other nose is sweeter if I had to choose between the two. And I think I like... A better than B when it comes to the nose, but mm. so that proof wise to me doesn't seem as high at all. I'd probably say in the mid nineties, if not the high nineties towards 100. Um, it's funky, but it's got like a creaminess to it. I almost want to call it like a buttery mouthfeel um, where it coats the whole mouth. You get the flavor in all aspects of it, but it's not burning your tongue the moment that you try it. Um, I could have singed my tongue with the, the 115.8 or 115.9, but there's some caramel to it. I think that this is, see, this drinks to me where it's not as dry on the tongue, so I wouldn't think that it's a higher rye, but after guessing the first one and being wrong, I'm not even going to guess anymore. Uh, but I'm going to say proof-wise, 95. I do think the finish is a little lighter than the first one. Um, still delicious. 
So yeah, your your proof point notes have been pretty good spot on. This is 94. 94, okay. Yep, so right again, you're, you're, you're picking up that, that proof for high heat on the first one, low heat, I guess, on, on the second one. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, a lot, a lot more of your notes on the second one definitely shine through. Mm-hmm. Uh, pr- pretty close to, to what it to what it could be. Okay. So, do we have a reveal on what we've got here for us, Mr. Kurlansky? Yes. So, the first one comes to us from Colorado. Oh. Old Elk. It's got our Bourbon Thieves logo right there on the cap, too. Awesome. Good stuff out of Old Elk. Greg is putting out some fantastic stuff. They uh, they just announced, too, they're coming out with a second cigar blend, um, different from their first one, finished a little differently. So that's exciting stuff. And then do you want to take a guess at what the second one is? Because your, your notes were, were really good on that one. Your uh, proof you were within one point on the proof. Mm-hmm. Mm. Uh. So th- this, is this a rye? Or not it's a not rye, a- but it's not even a high, it's a weeder. And it's not a weeder on the second one. Okay, so I don't um, just sh- sh- let me let me know it. Let me see it. Because you were pretty spot on with it being, you know, an an older name. There so, it is. Jack, Jack Daniels. Pick. Mm-hmm. Okay, and that's where the um, now that I hear Dan- Jack Daniels, it's got a. Distinct Jack Daniels taste to it for sure. Uh, I get the bananas, um, especially now. Yeah, proof wise, I out of the two, I'm gonna go with the old elk. Old elk probably being my favorite of the two. I don't think it can go wrong, but I do think that I'd go everyday player and probably bench um, for B. Uh, and that everyday player is close to being an all star. It's like it would be an all star if another all star sat out of the all-star game if you know what i'm saying like yeah. all-star by proxy but yeah. that's a very good pour and that's these are both thieves picks yes they are yep cool cool uh are they available still? they actually are there, there are two that are available um which can be found on tricuriata.com uh, okay if you do 200 dollars in shipping use or 200 more on your total use the code stock up and you get free shipping from them cool and you've got a code for, we were talking about Blue Run earlier. So Thieves did a, another pick with that. And this is the first Blue Run Thieves pick, right? Yeah, it's the first Blue Run pick ever. So, oh, so. It's, it's the, yeah, we were we were the first ones to be able to do a single barrel selection with uh, Blue Run. So this is the first ever one, and it's on pre-sale right now only. Um, so if you go to Seal Box, you can find it there. If you go to the link, it's going to show is coming soon. But if you click that and enter the code BT, all capital letters, VIP, that'll uh, that'll get you in and, and early access to that before it hits to the general public. Awesome. So go check that out. I will have that here in the description of the episode as well if you're looking for that. So head to Sealbox. And what was the other one if you were looking for the old elk or the, um, the Jack Daniels pick? Those are on Curiata. Curiata? Okay. Can you spell that for our listeners and viewers who are hearingly challenged? (laughs) Yeah. And if if I spell it correctly, spelling is not my strong suit. Um, (laughs) Should be C-R-U. Yeah. 
I don't know if I can <laughs> Just look uh, in the bio below, and I'll have it in the description, whether that's on Spotify, Apple, or YouTube, if you're interested in purchasing. Boy, that Old Elk is delicious, man. I haven't had something from Old Elk that I didn't like. Uh, Jack Daniels is kind of hit or miss for me. Number, number seven is, of course, number seven, but uh, the Bonded was okay. This has, I think, a lot more character than the Bonded itself. Uh, and there's, like I said, a little bit of a mustiness to the nose to it compared to of the two. So yeah, you, were, you were spot on. You were talking about, you know, like the funk from your grandparents' house. So obviously Jack has a long, you know, one of the longest standing recipes and histories out oh, there. Oh, for sure. Who doesn't know Jack Daniels, right? <laughs> Even exactly. if you don't drink, you know who Jack Daniels is or what Jack Daniels was. Uh, so again, thank you for passing this on. I, I hope Michael enjoys these and I can't wait to test Michael on what these are. So I'm going to tell him he can't listen to this episode until he's actually tried these. Most of the time, guys, he doesn't listen anyways. All right, we're going to mix it up a little bit. This is an addition into the podcast. Keith is not with us because this is recorded after Keith and I originally recorded this evening. But Mikey joins us for a few minutes here, fresh in his Braves uniform because he's a traitor. Uh, and <laughs> as we look sure. ahead... <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're talking bourbon. So Keith and I just did this blind review and we're going to hop into the rest of the bourbon and baseball podcast without Michael here in a second. But Michael, you're going to do a blind review of A and B, which Keith sent over to us both blind. Uh, you're going to give us your notes, your nose, your thoughts, and what you think the proof is, what you think the whiskey is. Is it a rye? Is it a wheat bourbon? Is it a rye bourbon is it a high malt bourbon what do you think that this is uh so let's start with a you've got right. that in your whiskey wisdom glass wisdom glass i got here oh wow right off the nose for a i get spicy like a rye a rye right okay. away uh, i do get uh, like a caramel though out of it but the rye really hits my nose strong Alrighty. That's it, it. It smells like a high rye kind of guy. Um, high rye kind of guy. High rye kind of guy. Let me take a sip here. Get into. Swirl that around. Oh, yeah. It's a little weeded. It's a little weeded yeah. though. Uh, excuse me. Huh. <laughs> it's all choked up. <laughs> it was so good. Um. Still, I do get that caramel. I get a little bit of good amount of oak on this guy. But mm -hmm. it, it, the fact that it came through sweet like a weeder makes me wonder if it is a rye or not. <laughs> it's funny knowing what it is now, but and knowing your thoughts and your... Um, Sorry. It's really choking him up. It is. You can't I'm handle on, it. I'm on drugs for, for an inhaler for oh. after coughing through last week's episode, too. Proofage wise, I want to say this is like 116 proof. Okay, it's it's a it's a higher proof. This is this is this is no syrupy hole here. I'm doing. I'm, this is no 90.92. So on a, our rating scale, uh, where would you rate this? It's pretty tasty. Um, does have a little bit of bite but it's not overpowering the nose you'd smell it and you'd be you'd kind of think 
this is this is really gonna burn, but it's not too bad. I get if you know quick review. Uh, I I would drink this. I would, I would go to this. Um, fighting between a bench and every day here. Um, mm-hmm. One last sip and I'll give I'll, and I'll decide. <laughs> so as Michael's deciding, uh, I also thought that this um, was a higher proof. I said it was a one fifteen proofer. Uh, <laughs> so that was what I thought, and this comes in at one fifteen point eight. Michael Burns. So on our rating scale, what do you think it is? I thought it was tasty. Um, I, I thought the proof was was nice. It wasn't. It didn't smell like it. Look how crooked my freaking bill is. Oh my yeah. gosh. He's wearing a brace uh, hat, folks. Yeah, I, that's why they're num- they've been you know number one for me for the last how many weeks? You know, yeah. I'm getting paid. Mm-hmm. Um, but this, I, I give this an everyday player. Um, I would go to this. It's got a nice oak to it. It's got some sweetness. Can't decide. I want to say it's a weeder. Is that your final answer? Final answer, yes. Everyday player, it is It is a weeder. It is a weeded bourbon. It's an Old Elk weeded store pick by the Bourbon Thieves coming in at 115.8. I thought that the nose was actually better than the palate, but uh, we are both right on the money. Let's on go, this. baby. I Let's a, go. I thought, it, I thought it was a rye up front at first, and then I was like, eh, and it ended up being the weeder. So uh, we are both in line. I rated it an everyday player, uh, as you may Nuts, have heard baby. earlier in the podcast, but I said it was on the edge of an everyday player who potentially becomes the all-star when an all-star drops out of the all-star game. Oh, okay. Do you know what I I'm like saying? I like it. Yeah. It's on the fringe. He's not necessarily an all-star, but he gets the all-star nod because another all-star decided to leave. Oh, I so, like it. good call there, Nux, Michael Burns. baby. Nux, let's go. Yeah, there Nux. we go. Yeah. All righty. So, let's pour up number B, or letter B, and um, <laughs> see what B. you think. Yeah, I've had several pours at this point. I'm in the middle of editing, so let's get to it. <laughs> I got this in my sweet tooth. You have it in the tooth too? So, it's funny. I had A in a tooth, and I had B in a wisdom. So, you went in the <laughs> reverse order, but uh, either way, it's tasting the same. Oh, no. Right, right off the bat, what do you think that is? That's what, a single malt. That's a single malt right there, baby. Yeah? Absolutely. Um. It's not. It's not a Kentucky bourbon for sure. I just get peat. I just get peat on the nose. I do. I do just stick my nose pretty far in this tooth a little bit, rushing it. Yeah, I'm getting peat. I'm getting you know what you get out of like a. It's not Irish. It's a single malt. It's not. Right. It's not Scotch. All right, taking a little sip here. It's not Scotch or it is Scotch. You said it's. It didn't smell like scotch. It just smelled like a, an American single malt. All right. It doesn't taste like it smells as much, though. I get, you know, peanutty a little bit. It's still a single malt. I get peanuts. Not a lot, a lot of smoke there. Take another sip. I don't know. It, it's It's pretty peaty for me. Not, it's not too peaty, but the flavor is more peaty than it is oak. Um, Roofage-wise, this is this is much this is lower. <laughs> <laughs> this is the fastest you've ever done a review, right? I'm trying to pull it all together. I would say this is like a 104. Okay. 
104 proof at the most. And I don't know. I'm fighting. I'm I'm, I'm fighting to f- see if I would enjoy this further. Would I buy a bottle of this? Probably not. Um, it's too. It's a little peaty for me. It's a, it's. I'm missing. I'm missing some sweetness out of it. Um, I mean, one last sip, and I'll give my BNB rating here. Alrighty. So as Michael does that, uh, yeah, um, he's going with Petey and American Single Malt. So what do you think on our Barrels and Barrels of Bourbon and Baseball pod- podcast rating scale? I got to DFA this guy. It's a, it's Easy. it's it doesn't have the, the oak, the sweetness. It is too much on a peat side for me. Do you want to know what this is? I what's the proofage? 94 proof is where this runs in. <laughs> so you are 10 above. And this is not an American single malt. This is a Tennessee whiskey coming from Jack Daniels Distillery. This is a single barrel 94 proof barrel pick from the Bourbon Thieves. This is Jack Daniels? Is Jack Daniels. Single barrel. Wow. And I think I rated this an everyday player if I remember right. Really? There's no peat to it at all. It is all <laughs> Tennessee whiskey. And it is higher malt. It is 12% barley, 8% wheat, uh, 8%, excuse me, rye. But yeah, there's no That's that bar- barley that I'm catching yeah. there then. Man. For the record, I said a 95 proof and it had some funk to it. Yeah. Good job, man. It, is, it does have some funkiness to it, doesn't it? It, it does. I don't, it, is that Especially going from one to... Jack Daniels. Yeah, Jack, there's some funk to it. Think about like the old age of Jack Daniels, like the same recipe. What I thought, like, I thought it smelled and tasted like a dusty to me. Yeah. Like something that's been sitting in your grandparents' cabinet for the last 35 years. I mean, even, even like, I burped it up a little bit and it was just. I didn't think it was that bad. Well, I'm I'm breezing through this thing. (laughs) If I would have tried this at the store, I wouldn't have bought it. Right, so that's I understand I, that that's of the I two run. of the two, they're most very drastic in my mind. Very much, very much. I mean, I'm, I wouldn't be surprised if Whiskey Advocate gave this number one. You know, <laughs> <laughs> it is not the bonded. I thought it was better than bonded, to be honest. Did you? Yeah, personally, but okay. To each their own. But Michael Burns going with an everyday player on the first one, which is an old elk store pick, or I guess barrel pick from the Bourbon Thieves. Uh, Very, very good. And uh, number two was a Jack Daniels 94-proof barrel pick from the Bourbon Thieves. Uh, They are both still for sale, as we mentioned earlier on the podcast, and you can find that link in the description below. Thank you to Michael for joining us for this quick five-second segment. Thank you, Brandon. Uh, and, and then Keith and I will get back to baseball talk right after this. So, uh, moving on without further ado, we are both a part of the Bourbon Thieves. Uh, we talked about a couple of their picks, the Blue Run pick coming up. But the Bourbon Thieves, we're a community. Uh, it's basically a whiskey community amongst friends. But as an ambassador, can you tell our listeners and our viewers what the Bourbon Thieves actually are? Yeah. So, like you said, we're, we're a community within a community. Obviously, the bourbon community is fantastic on its, on its own right, and there's a lot of great people that are out there. And there's a lot of groups within the bourbon community that focus on friendship and, um, you know, talking and, you know, having fun. 
Mm-hmm. Um, that's really what the Bourbon Thieves are about. Um, you know, we're a group that was founded by a, a group of, um, you know, different people from all over right around the COVID time as well. Um, and they just wanted to get together, get on video calls. We were all stuck at home. So let's do something fun, um, you know, while we're, while we're trapped at home. And that's really where the Bourbon Thieves were, were born from. Um, you know, we're very anti the secondary market. Um, is really our, our big thing. And, mm-hmm. you know, we try to do what we can within the community to help each other out. You know, that's giving, you know, advance notice, like we know of a drop coming at a certain store in a certain area. So we let people know and, you know, we, we do what we can to, to help each other out. And we do weekly calls, you know, we jump on videos. We have weekly drink. calls sometimes. Yeah. I mean, sometimes you never know. We might, might, might do a few a week, you know, there's, there's no rules. We, we have a discord chat and, Rel in there and we're, we're pretty active throughout the day and we just hang out and talk and you know talk bourbon talk whiskey and talk everyday life you know too it's not it's not all bourbon whiskey but we're a community within the community that supports each other yeah my favorite part is probably the community aspect of it but also like the helping other people out there's a an iso group um there's if you haven't been on discord before um it's I would call it a social media network in a way, but with different branches to the network itself where you can have channels and like different <laughs> thumbnails or not thumbnails, but like tabs on a computer. And in each side, each tab, you could have something different. And there's, hey, I'm looking to trade for this bottle. Uh, I have this bottle available or uh, I'm in search of this bottle. So if you run across it, would you let me know if it's not something that you want? I'd gladly pay you exactly what you paid for for it. So and and. Not only that, but the support, like, hey, I need help with this. Or, hey, like you said, in the we call them den calls. We jump on. I jump on, try to every Thursday. Some of my closest bourbon friends and some of my closest friends in the world. I never met in person, but I talk to them every week uh, online for a couple of hours, have a couple of drinks or one too many drinks, <laughs> <laughs> depending on the week and depending on the night. But uh, it's a really cool community. But how does one become a part of this community? Yeah, and that, that's a great question. Um, you know, the best way to do it is to just tag us in your posts on Instagram. Um, well, I, I was always using the hashtag as well, but now the new Instagram algorithm, you can't res- necessarily search by the most recent um, hashtags mm-hmm. will become much different or much more difficult to pull out members that way. Uh, but definitely tag us in your posts. Um, and, and we notice we have a group of ambassadors and we're, we're in there on different days of the week. And we notice the people that are constantly tagging us engage with other members too. We have um, a channel where someone can nominate you. So we take those nominations and we, we, you know, we look into them and if you're tagging us, it's, it's a quick intro and um, mm-hmm. we give you our code of conduct. And if you agree to, to everything that we're doing and you sign on, we go from there. Yeah, I'm telling you guys, if, if you're not part of the bourbon thieves and you're in the bourbon community, you need to join or at least try to join, uh, be supportive. It's a supportive group. It's a fun group. We're all good people. Uh, can, waking up to a good morning text from everybody every day. Uh, you'll probably get 20 or 30 of those and you can turn off your notifications if you want or whatever. But, um, yeah, it, it's a great community to be a part of. Uh, and I'm happy to be a part of it. I'm honored to be a part of it as well, because it's, uh, in a way it's an invite only kind of group, right? So in order to be invited, you gotta be like Keith said, you gotta hit the levels of, um, the code of conduct and all of that and be supportive and, I tell you what, man, the, the bourbon community itself as a whole 
is probably one of, if not the most supportive community I've been a, a part of. Yeah. I mean, definitely. And I think, you know, one thing to talking just about the bourbon thieves community too, that we didn't really touch on is it's free as well. So if yeah. you get invited. It doesn't, it doesn't cost you anything. There's no, there's no obligation. We've done cigar picks. We've done, you know, barrel picks. You're not required to buy anything. You're not required to do any of that. Just you're required to engage with the other people in the chat. That's all we yeah. ask. Um, and that, you know, that that's the reason you're there, right? It's a social group. If you're not talking to anyone, what, what's the point of being there? So, um, it's all about, you know, that, that social, that social life and, and doing that. And like you were saying, it is such a supportive group within a group. And, you know, I had a, a buddy I posted about that was in, you know, a, a pretty bad car accident and I, yeah. you know, I out there in the den and the, the support that I got and people met, still messaging me to, to check in on my, my friend and everything like that. It just it was a couple of weeks ago and people still remember about that and they're still checking in mm -hmm. to see how his progress is doing and things like that. And that's, you know, you might not get just if you're in the Instagram world and making posts about your bourbon, you maybe lose some of that community single-handedly. Um, there's some great people out there that, that'll talk to you, but you know, you get the people within the thieves and it's, it's more personal. Yeah. And if you're going to head over to any of these bourbon events, there's probably going to be a thieve there in one way or another, whether that's bourbon and beyond Kentucky bourbon fest grains and grits or any of the local community. Uh, we've got one here this weekend that I'm going to try to go jump to. It's the bourbon Baron ball, uh, out in Northern Kentucky. So, uh, thieves are everywhere and it's thieves in a good way, not thieves in a bad way. Uh, and bourbon thieves and Part of the reason why we do Thieves of the Week in a baseball realm, because a thief in bourbon is stealing from the barrel, but in a good way to try the whiskey, a thief in baseball is someone making an incredible play. So speaking of baseball, let's jump right into that. We always use trivia. You've got a trivia question for me, as I've heard, but I want to give you one as well. I'm going to go first, and then I'll let you try to stump me, because you're probably going to stump me. Uh, this is why I asked the questions and not answer the questions. But my trivia question for you. You're a Red Sox fan. I had to make this Red Sox themed, and I hope you get this right. In 2004, of course, the Boston Red Sox snapped their 86-year drought of World Series failure, right? They won in four games versus the St. Louis Cardinals. Who scored the game-winning and World Series winning run in game four? Oh, I'm trying to remember. So let's see. We had couple big hits. Um, I know I know Derek Lowe had a big hit um, in that game. I, I believe it was the bases loaded. It was almost a grand slam because I bet my parents, if he hit a grand slam, I could get a dog. My parents, you could see their faces being scared as that one went deep out into the wall. Um, I'm trying to think of who would have been on base for him at that point because I believe he was the winning pitcher. Um, which he was in every clinching game, I believe, in 2004. Mm -hmm. um, probably someone towards the bottom of the lineup, that means. Um, I'm going to guess, because I, I don't 100% know, but I'm going to guess Mark Bellhorn. Mark Bellhorn is a good guess. Former Cub, switch hitter, played third base uh, for those teams. It was actually Johnny Damon who led the game off with a home run. And the Cardinals lost three to nothing to the Red Sox. So without scoring a run, that leadoff home run is the clincher. So Johnny Damon is the final answer and the final guess and the answer to that question. So time for you, Keith, to try to stump me. And it's going to happen. So I'm, I'm... 
I don't know. I mean, I, I did bring this question up to uh, my fantasy baseball uh, group chat that's pretty active. And although, the, granted, they had 11 people that got to guess on it, um, I did tell <laughs> them that if they got one wrong guess, they were eliminated from guessing. So the question is, there's five combinations of fathers and sons mm -hmm. that have combined between the father and son as, as a total to hit 500 or more home runs. Can you name the five father and son pairs to do it? So the Bonds, the Bonds boys, the Griffey yep. boys, um, yep. father and son. Uh, I'm going to go with the Guerreros. Yep. Uh, so there's three out of five. Um, 500 or more as a family. Philippe uh, Alou and Moises Alou, part of that? They are, yes. So four out of five. Uh 500 or more combined home runs, fathers or sons. Four out of five. That's a good one. Um, the, the Alou one was tough for me. That When I got asked this question, that was the one I didn't get. So, oh, so I got the hard one then. Um, it's because the Alou, because yeah, Moises, of course, carried that. But and who knows? It could be a guy who had 495 and his son, all he had was six. So that's what I'm trying to factor in here. Um, Man, Ernie Banks didn't have a kid. Um, I mean, we could say every 500 home run hitter who didn't who had a son who didn't play in the game, they still hit 500 plus home runs, but their son didn't make it to the big leagues. But that's part of the yeah, criteria. The, the, the father and son both played in the big leagues, so okay. it's not it's not that it's not that tricky of a of a question. So. Yes, yeah, so Bonds Griffey. Uh, Guerrero, Alou, man, this fifth one's stumping me for some reason. I'm trying to think of all the dads in the baseball world uh, who played and their their son have played. Bo Bichette and Kevin Biggio, their fathers didn't hit 400 plus and they're not even 100 in their career. Uh, I'm trying to think of who, is it an active player currently? It no? is not currently an active player. Okay. Well... Huh. Although, although technically he might still be getting paid from a team, but he's not, he's not on an active roster. Okay, he won't be batting this year. So, um, okay. You know what? I'm going to give up at this point just to give our viewers and listeners, uh, no more wasted time, but so who's that fifth, uh, fifth daddy, daddy son duel, the fielders. Oh, you're right. He is getting paid by the freaking Detroit Tigers and Texas Rangers. Oh, man. Yeah, yeah the field of Cecil and Prince. There you go. That's a good one. That is a good one. I would, for some, I think it's the Brewers part of it that, like, I I blind blinded. Uh, but, yeah, Cecil and Prince, man, they were mashers, too. Oh, yeah. That's a great question. Uh, I guarantee you, Michael wouldn't have gotten three of them. <laughs> yeah, I, I tell you, the Alus the, the were difficult, but obviously there, there's a Cub Roots a little bit there, too. So that probably why that one kind of resonated. Well, and part of that was also because of the the, the Alou family has generations of baseball history. And I believe Philippe's brother played, and I think Moises had a brother who played. that They weren't as great, but... Uh, that family's just historic. Um, and Moises was, I think, near 400 in his career, so it wouldn't have taken a ton for his dad to reach that threshold. Cool. Well, we've talked baseball uh, with trivia and Kurt Schilling, but you're a huge Red Sox fan. I want to focus more on the AL East, which 
until the last week and a half or so, has been one of, if not the best divisions we have ever seen. Uh, I do think in the last couple of weeks it started to lose its shine, personally, as a non-AL East fan. Uh, but So the ALC, AL East standings probably aren't anywhere what a lot of people thought they were going to look like at this point uh, at the beginning of the season. We've got the Baltimore Orioles atop, uh, and then in second place, the Tampa Bay Rays, then the Toronto Blue Jays, the Red Sox, and then the Yankees. Right now, your first thoughts on the AL East. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely, you know, way different than than you would have thought. Um, you know, Baltimore was, you know, had a ton of young players and a ton of great prospects. And, you know, really none of them have come up and, and missed so far this year. Right. Um, you had Colton Kauscher. Um, Kauscher, yeah. Kauscher. Um, who was really the only prospect that's come up that hasn't exactly shined for them this year. I, I know he got sent down um, last week, but he wasn't getting a ton of playing time, so that's not really fair to say that he, he's bad or anything. But everyone that's come up has just immediately made an impact for that team. And, you know, that I thought they could be in it, you know, towards a bottom wild card if, if everything went right. And, you know, Grayson Rodriguez struggled out of the gate. So if mm-hmm. you saw, that, saw him getting sent down, you, you wouldn't think that Baltimore's leaving that division. Um, so I think that's probably more surprising to me to see them at the top, especially with how hot Tampa was to start the season. Yeah, they were ridiculous. What, 20 and 2 or something like that to yeah. start off? Yeah, and that, and a lot of people will look at it and say, well, I think the Yankees being at the bottom is, you know, more surprising. And yeah, no, no one saw the Yankees finishing, you know, last. And I know we talked. A lot, a lot preseason, and, and you put the Red Sox in, in that bottom spot. And it's not like the Red Sox and Yankees are separated by a ton of games, so it's no. not like the Yankees are locked into to fifth place in the division. So, um, you know, those those are two really big surprises: Baltimore at the top and the Yankees at the bottom for sure. Yeah, and I think the Rays to come out as hot as they did, nobody really. I, I thought they were going to be a wild card team because they always seem to just somehow scrap and make their way in. I didn't see them as dominant as they were here to start. I mean, they're 40 and 22 at home. So they're almost 20 games above 500 at home. If you do that, you're going to the playoffs. On the road, not nearly as successful. But as of right now, as of this recording, Baltimore 74 and 46, two and a half games ahead of the Tampa Bay Rays. Then Toronto, who I think could have probably, in my mind, the most well-rounded roster uh, of the division. They were my choice for the division winner uh, just because of the way that that young core was a year older, right? They made the playoffs last year. They got that experience. At the point, Alec Manoa was a Cy Young candidate, right? Like that was Michael's pick for Cy Young. Uh, He was top three, top five last year in that award. You would have expected him to make the next jump in his third full season in the big leagues. Uh, But they added Gausman last year, I believe, Chris Bassett in this past offseason. Their pitching, to me, probably is the scariest when it comes to a three- to four-man rotation, especially if they've got Ryu back healthy. They've got Jose Berrios, who used to be the Twins' ace three years ago, uh, and then Kikuchi, who's like a number five that anybody would take as the number five on their team. So you make that a deep. And if for some reason Manoa does decide to pitch like Manoa, you've got six deep as a starting staff. And then you're rolling out that one of the scariest offenses if they were firing on all cylinders. They have a hard time scoring runs in clutch moments. But, I mean, I said at the beginning of the year, find the hole in that lineup. Yeah. I mean, 
you have you have the corners kind of covered with Belt and Chapman, and and they've been you know Chapman's not as he was the first two months of the season, right. but he's still he's still hitting really good. And I mean, you have uh, you know Bo Bichette who potentially could be fighting for the title. I mean, he's on he, on his first rehab game today. It was, it was supposed to be yesterday, but it was rained out. So yeah. um, you got him pet possibly coming back this weekend to that team, and he's at the top in hits. So. I mean, those are tone setters. But Springer hits leadoff home runs as good as anyone, and then you have Bo that can just come on, get on base, and then follow mm-hmm. it up by Patty, who his power numbers are a little bit down this year. Yeah, um, compared it's a little to perplexing. Probably, yeah, which is probably different than they were thinking. But I mean, the team's still hitting around them, so you're putting those guys on base. Um, and if you're on base, you have the opportunity to score a run, and that's the important thing. So yeah, and you've got. Uh, Kevin Biggio, Whit Merrifield, who is playing all over the field. He's been in left field more recently, but he can play second base. They have like seven second basemen. Dalton Varsho, who's a great utility guy. He plays anywhere, catcher, second base, outfield. Kevin Kiermeyer can go and get him. So defensively, they're pretty good outside of Ladd, who's kind of been their weak spot at first base. But that's a lineup that I think if they get right, that's a team that's kind of in my mind a sleeper the moment they make the playoffs right because all it takes is one or two of those pitchers to get hot and it's going to be hard to beat yeah and i mean that they have a really good bullpen as well so i mean you you know in, in playoffs you know times have changed you you really just look for your starters to go five solid innings and you turn it over really to whatever starting pitcher get bumped for an inning or two here or there um and you you, you really put an arm on that that bullpen and they have one of the better ones out there that that could be going. Yeah, uh, they certainly do. And as a Cubs fan, I saw that in front row in person last week um, when the Cubs went to Toronto. I do want to boast this as a Cubs fan. Do you know that the Cubs are nine and six versus the AL East this year? So that, that's the one team that they've lost two to. I saw in person, and that was the Red Sox. So, tip my hat to you, yes. Um, but currently, the Red Sox are ten and a half back, so the division probably out of the question. But the wild card, they're three games back, and they're in the hunt for that. And then the New York Yankees, for as lowly as they've been, they're still at five hundred, but they're on a four-game losing streak coming into tonight. Uh, as I look at the scoreboard right now, uh, they are losing two to nothing in the bottom of the eighth to Atlanta. So more likely to lose their fifth in a row, fall under five hundred. This is the latest that they've ever been in last place or at five hundred, I believe, since nineteen ninety-five. Um, that's thirty years of. And, and that's probably why you said that's one of the surprises is they're in last place. Right. And I mean, you've looked at a couple of the rosters, you know, in the last couple of years. I mean, you're not throwing out Derek Jeter and, um, you know, some of the, some of their big names that they had, you know, the Pettit days and everything like that, where even if the rest of the roster wasn't fully there, you knew they were always going to find a way to compete. And they haven't really, they don't really have that, that name, you know, judge was hurt for a while and their record with and without judge or, you know, extremely yeah. different. Yeah. You know, Gene Carlo's average is, you know, not not quite the Mendoza line, but it's, <laughs> it's down there in the twos. I think uh, it's even lower than that, or at least it was the other day. I think he was 198 last I checked. He may have gotten a little bit better, but yeah, it, he's not been great. Anthony Rizzo, uh, after the head injury, um, which we're just finding about a week and a half ago, uh, Giancarlo is at 203 now, so he's much much better in the last two weeks. He must be batting over 300. But his OPS plus, though, as a whole is 99, so that's right at the league average. So it's not like he's been a negative, but you expect more from him 
18 home runs, and that's really all he's provided because he's got 45 RBIs and 52 hits. Josh Donaldson hasn't been great. Rizzo obviously is out, but he wasn't himself. Um, LeMahieu's missed some time. Volpe hasn't been what they expected as a rookie. He's been good, but he hasn't been the rookie of the year candidate that everybody thought. Uh, catching position, which was a strength last year with Higashoka um, as well as Trevino, They've had injuries as well as ineffectiveness there. Uh, and then in the outfield, I mean, Bader was great for a while. He's been hurt. Aaron Hicks got cut. Uh, and you've had Judge, as you mentioned, on and off of the IL. So uh, a lot of inconsistency. I didn't think that Cashman did enough. Honestly, I wasn't as high on the Yankees this year uh, as other people were just because I didn't think in the case that Judge got hurt that there was enough around him. And that's what we're starting to see this year. Yeah, and I mean, th- their their pitching staff has had a lot of injuries as well. Um, mm-hmm. You know, some personal unfortunate circumstances as well with one of their pitchers. Um, so, I mean, they, they didn't have a ton of depth in that rotation. And Severino's been really hit or miss, and they were really counting on him. To be- <laughs> I mean, I, I tell people jokingly that I think I uh, jinxed Sever- uh, Severino's career because I saw, I went to Yankee Stadium um, mm-hmm. and saw first career start and it wasn't wasn't a glowing start if I remember it completely it wasn't bad but you know he's a rookie yeah. and didn't look that great and I said it's because I'm here as a Red Sox fan I'm gonna I'm gonna ruin his career and, and, and that the Yankees that it's like the, the curse of the Bambino but the curse of the Kurlansky exactly <laughs> I love it uh speaking of no hitters um because Domingo Herman threw a perfect game earlier this year and you were mentioning um, perf- um personal Issues, And we're not going to dive too far into that, but uh, he did go into rehab for alcoholism. The LA Angels currently throwing a no-hitter versus the Texas Rangers in the bottom of the sixth inning. Of course, it's halfway through the game. We'll keep an eye on that and update you. And, of course, if you're watching and listening, you already know whether or not that ended. But in real time, Keith and I will be paying attention to that game uh, as the Angels lead the Texas Rangers one to nothing. I don't even know who's on the mound for that one because I haven't pulled it up, but I might as well do that. As far as the Red Sox, your Red Sox, time for you to gloat, time for you to talk. You get just got probably your second best player back last week in my mind, uh, Trevor yeah. Story. Um, it's definitely great to have Trevor Story back. Um, you know, he's got to defensively, he's going to help solidify that that team and something that they really lacked. Um, you know, obviously we traded Kike Hernandez, which probably came to a shock to some people when it happened, sending him back to the Dodgers. Um, but defensively, he wasn't meant really to be an infielder. He was much better in the outfield. So he was really much out of his comfort zone there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, just that stability in the middle of the field is going to be great. Um, they, I was watching the game earlier today. And they said the Red Sox have had 103 different lineups so far this year. Different yeah. So they've, you know, I mean, with how many games are played, basically, you're using a different lineup almost every day. So that's difficult for hitters, too. You know, some people have talked about that. They like to know where they're batting, consistency purposes, things of, things of that nature. Um, so it's been, you know, they've had injuries and they've battled and guys up, guys down and you know, you kind of work through that. Um, I'd, I'd say a lot of people are probably surprised we're, you know, fighting for a, a wild card spot or as close to one as we are. Um, you know, I kind of saw what Seattle did at, at the trade deadline. So that, that made me a bit more hopeful yeah. that um, we might get closer. Obviously, we're trailing Seattle in, in the standings. Obviously, 
Seattle has a ton of talent. You know, they're, they have great pitching. I mean, they're probably out of the non-playoff teams right now, probably have the best rotation I can think of. You know, George Kirby doesn't walk anyone and you have that in a playoff game. You're going to have to hit to get this versus him and Castillo who, you know, striking out guys like crazy and, you know, they lost Robbie Ray to start the year too. And you think about how good that rotation, um, you know, could have been too with, with him in there. So, um, you know, the, the Red Sox are there. They're going to have to, uh, they're going to have to find their ways to battle. They, you know, they were losing two nothing in this game, a couple solo shots and they got a big, big home run to tie it up. And then, you know, they served up a couple home runs and are sitting down six to two right now to, to a team that they should beat, but one of the better teams right now in in the last couple of weeks and, in Washington, that that record overall can be a bit deceiving for them, right. but they've been playing really good baseball the last couple of weeks. And seventeen and thirteen in yeah. the last thirty games, so a much better team than you see on paper and see on the standings. So the Red Sox, I think personally, their issue is pitching. I think that they can score with the best of them. They since the beginning of the year been putting up runs. It's been able to stop the runs from scoring. They've got a plus thirty run differential. Uh, 576 runs scored, which is the third best in the division, well behind the Rays, but just behind the Orioles by six runs. Uh, But they've given up more runs than anybody else in the division, and only a handful of teams in the AL um, have given up more runs than the Red Sox, obviously the Oakland Athletics, but uh, behind them, uh, the the Royals and the White Sox and then the Tigers. But really, the, the Red Sox need to work on stopping runs, and I think that was probably one thing I was more disappointed with them at the deadline is they only they moved Kike, right? And then they went out and got Luis Urias from the Brewers, which kind of felt like a panic move. As a Red Sox fan yourself, what did you think about their deadline as a whole? Yeah, I mean, it was lackluster. Um, but I'm, I'm kind of getting used to that with, with Haim in charge. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't think he's going to, you know, even if the team was – you know, right in there in the thick of the division, only a couple games back. I'm not really sure what he would have gone out and done at that point. Maybe he goes and, and gets a pitcher, but he doesn't like to trade from the farm. And obviously starting pitchers at the deadline are the most expensive commodity. Right. Um, so it, it'd be tough to judge and, and say what he would have would have done. I mean, it was a weird, you know, it was weird picking up Urias. I didn't really see it or understand it, especially because at that, at that point, story was rehabbing. It was close to coming back. And right. you know, Pablo Reyes, who's been playing really well for us this year, and you have a couple other platoon guys and a couple other guys in, in the system that could have come up. So it was an interesting addition. He's looked pretty good for us. So, you know, better than I would have thought he would have been. And he's flashed it, you know, with, with, with Milwaukee before. I mean, he's mm-hmm. shown he has some talent. So... Well, he's a top prospect. With it was just an interesting first, overall move that I didn't expect. Yeah, it definitely was an interesting move for sure. Um, and speaking of interesting move, you mentioned the Seattle Mariners. They are ahead of the Red Sox in the wild card, not by much. Um, they've played very well here since the second half of the season started and since the All-Star break. They are 64-55 and 55 a game up on the Red Sox as of tonight. Uh, they currently lead the Royals 4-3 to three in the top of the fifth. Um, that series has been quite good, actually. Two extra inning games between those two teams. I found myself, I'm even wearing a Mariners hat. Because I've been, they were my World Series pick at the beginning of the year. As you mentioned, it's that rotation, right? 
Castillo. Then you go Kirby, Gilbert. You got Bryson Miller or Bryce Miller, uh, Wu, Brian Wu, and the. Uh, the guy that they've just called up, his name always escapes me. He pitched last night, but uh, he's one of their top pitching prospects. There's six pitchers, and they're missing uh, Robbie Ray, as you mentioned. And then also uh, Marco Gonzalez just went out, who was a veteran leader in that rotation. So their pitching, I think, stands amongst the best. They are neck and neck with Toronto Blue Jays as the best ERA in all of baseball. It was the Blue Jays going into last week, and the Cubs kind of roughed up the Blue Jays, and the Mariners had a good stretch, so they jumped as the number one. But they are real close. As of coming into tonight, uh, the ERAs between the two of them, right now the Blue Jays at 3.68 have the best ERA in baseball. Second is the Seattle Mariners. Third is the Cleveland Guardians. Fourth is the Houston Astros. And then fifth is the San Diego Padres. So... The Blue Jays and the Mariners, who are in the fight for the wild card, I think no matter who makes it of the two, they're scary because they're probably throwing the best rotation out there. Yeah, I'd agree. And um, you were talking about Emerson Hancock was the name that was escaping you. Um, It it stands out to me because I dropped him in my dynasty, one of my (laughs) dynasty leagues about three weeks before he got called up. But, you know, sometimes, you know, he looked good in, in AAA. I mean, his ERA was over five, I believe, closer to six um, before his call-up. So I was kind of surprised to see him get the nod when it looked like he'd been struggling a little bit in the minors. Um, but he's come up and looked pretty good so far in, in the majors. So um, I would say, though, I'd probably give the edge to Toronto. I just think they have a solidified closer. And I think yeah. that's probably the, the weirdest decision I feel like at the deadline was, Seattle shipping off their closer. And not that they don't have other good bullpen arms right. that getting saves here or there, but it kind of felt like a little bit of like the Red Sox at last year's deadline where you're buying and selling a little bit at the same time. It kind mm-hmm. of felt like a, a weird message. And people say that about the Red Sox last year is they were, they were kind of there, they were kind of out of it. And then they kind of did a buy and sell and it kind of made the, the clubhouse a little bit of a chemical imbalance. And so, Mm-hmm. Obviously for Seattle, they're still playing at a high level, so it doesn't look like it had a, a negative effect on that or that the front office is saying you guys aren't going to be able to compete. Um, but it was a very interesting move, I thought, on that. And you know, I feel like Toronto has the better closer now because he's someone that's been in those spots a, mm-hmm. a little bit more. And if it comes down to it, um, I feel like that's obviously you know very important. Uh, I, I totally agree. Uh, Munoz was the, the guy who um, uh, they kind of turned to after they shipped Seawald to the Diamondbacks, which when it popped up, I was like, am I reading this right? They just traded their closer to the Diamondbacks, but they're a couple games back uh, of a wild card spot. And I think that they have a roster that could make noise. They have the experience of making it last year too, right? So uh, you go back-to-back years, you have that experience you can draw from. The, The Blue Jays, as you mentioned, I I still think that they're a great roster. To be honest, I'm going to throw it out there. It's going to be a hot take, but I don't think the Tampa Bay Rays are actually going to make the playoffs this year. I do think that within the next six, seven weeks, the Tampa Bay Rays are likely going to start to fall apart. We are, they're not the same team that we saw them a couple of weeks ago when they were the number one team in the AL and they were the number one team in the league. They've just lost their third pitcher to Tommy John surgery this year, which is another question all in all, right? Like you got to look at that pitching infrastructure at this point. You've had three players this year lost to Tommy John. I think Shane Baz last year 
was lost to Tommy John because he didn't pitch at all this year. You have two players about to come off the IL from Tommy John surgery. Now, what are you doing as a pitching staff? Number one, number two, Wander Franco issue. Uh, that's the elephant in the room right now. What's going to yeah. happen? That's your best player. If right. he's going to be out indefinitely right now, what's that going to mean for that team? Yeah, I mean, I think if, if you're Tampa, you really have to look at a player like uh, Randy Rosarina and make him the leader of that clubhouse. So obviously, he's a very outspoken character yeah. in, in a good way. Um, and, you know, he really, you know, he's shined in the playoffs. He His name was made in the playoffs. So, I mean, you kind of, I think you look at him as kind of the leader of that team and, you know, l- let him do his thing. And, you know, he's capable of carrying a team. I mean, that's why they did so good in, in his rookie year in the playoffs is what he was able to do on that field. So if he gets a little hot or, you know, picks up some of that slack, I mean, he can do it. I mean, you can't replace Wander Franco, right? Like he's in what he can do on the field. You, you can't Wizard. just do that. Um, so you're going to have to draw from some, you know, some other ways inside. I mean, Yandy Diaz continues to hit um, and he plays a, he plays good defense as well for them. So, I mean, you kind of look at that and, you know, if those two guys can can do what they can do, you know, they have other other big pieces. Yeah, Yandy Diaz is having a career year. He leads the AL in batting average right now at three twenty one, uh, and we'll get to him here in a second. Uh, but they've got the players, Luke Rayleigh, who is a candidate for Rookie of the Year, just had an incredible – did you see the – Home run yeah. inside the park today. That's yeah. one of the craziest caroms I've ever seen. Go check that out on our TikTok or Instagram page. It blew my mind. I've been watching baseball for years. And that one, as an outfielder, I like hurt inside because you play that as well as you can. And it's still just everything goes to crap. But Yandy, uh, Brandon Lowe, or Lau, uh, Isaac Paredes, Randy Rosarina, Jose Series having um, an okay year, but an OPS of 768. He's hitting home runs. He's got 23 bombs. You've got players. I just think that you're losing a lot of production if Wander doesn't come back. And the distraction behind that itself, to me, you kind of lose a ton of energy. You had this team who was the best team in the league for months, and now they're just kind of in a free fall um, they're still winning, but not winning as much on the road. And you're not going to be at home where they're sitting. If Baltimore continues where they're at, I don't think you're catching them at this point. They're only two and a half back, but it, it feels like a bigger a bigger leap than that, doesn't it? Than two and a half. Yeah, games? it definitely does, and I think that's mostly because of the big leap that they have, right? right? So you look at it as you know two and a half, but like that means Baltimore's made up so much ground to even be in a position where they're leading. And they kind of, they kind of ping-ponged for like a week or so where it was like a game here, a half game right. there, and they kind of stayed close. But now, you know, you're two and a half, and it kind of feels like Baltimore's starting to pull away. Yeah, it, and it's felt like that to me for weeks. I, I was actually surprised when I looked at the standings and saw it was two and a half games. But to me, like I said, it's a hot tape. But that pitching staff worries me because you've got Glass now. And then it's hard to know who is reliable from that point because how many bullpen games can you do? You can do it in the playoffs here and there, but you're going to burn out your pitching staff. And Glasnow's just coming off of an injury as well. He had Tommy John too, didn't he? He did, yeah. I mean, he, so there's another Tommy John arm. Yeah, I mean, he was the, the sticky tack era, like right away when they removed it. I think it was his first start after the whole sticky tack gate last year. He ended That's up right. hurting his arm. Um, 
which I agree with him. You can't you can't make a change like that mid season, which is was his big issue. It's like, um, but I mean, you you do have you still have Taj Bradley, who's a good young arm that's going to come up and and make some impactful innings for them. And he's been hit or miss so far in in the MLB this year. He's had some really good games and some really bad games. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like Tampa is a team that always finds a way to do it, especially with their pitching. Um, you got a guy like maybe Taj just becomes a, a bulk guy and you, you throw one of your relievers out to start and you have him come and give you four or five innings out of a bullpen. Um, they, they just always seem to seem to do it. And I agree. I mean, I don't know necessarily who would overtake them in the wild card. I mean, you have Seattle and the Red Sox and the Yankees right there. That's my only, that's my only thing is, is there a team that's going to step up even if Tampa continues to slide, that can play that consistency to overtake them. So Tampa's got a four and a half game lead, or now five after today um, in the wild card, but uh, I don't think it'll be five long because Seattle still has a lead in their game. As far as the Los Angeles Angels, it's Reed Detmers on the mound who actually threw a no hitter last year in May, so it could potentially be his second career no hitter. Um, Reed Detmers, I got to see him in person once. And that was when he was with the Rocket City Trash Pandas, double-A affiliate of the Los Angeles Angels in Huntsville. uh, Or I guess it's Madison, Alabama. That's right in Michael's backyard. Literally, Michael could walk there. I think it's the Mariners that could overtake them. Um, They've got a five-game lead over Toronto and then seven over Seattle. But it's hard for me to think that that Rays team is going to be able to hold it together. They've already started to just come back to the mean itself. And I think if this Wander thing ends up being more than it is right now, right? It's just allegations. But if this gets dragged on, I just saw that he's got Dominican, um, I believe, authorities looking into this now. So uh, that could really provide a distraction. As someone who's been in a locker room uh, growing up in college and in high school athletics, the locker room itself and the like distractions around the team, it's actually a real thing. And I think that that could distract this team away from the ultimate goal because that's that's the guy on that team, right? Like Wander, he's flipping the ball to himself. Who knows if they're ever going to play with him again because he's not just dealing with the potential of being suspended. He's dealing with the potential of criminal charges here and being locked away for the better part of his career, if not the rest of his career. So that could be a distraction, and I do think that that might – the Astros, t- to me, are going to overtake him no matter what because the Astros yes. may actually overtake the Texas Rangers, in all honesty. Though that's a good, that's going to be a hell of a race to watch down the stretch is that AL West. But that Mariners team, we've talked about it. It's that pitching staff. I'm looking at it here. Fangraphs gives the uh, the Rays a 96% chance of making the playoffs. The Astros an 89% chance. The Mariners a 28.6% chance. The Blue Jays actually a 71% 71.6% chance. And then the Red Sox is 17.1. I'd say the Mariners or the Red Sox can do it. I think the Mariners have the edge over the Red Sox because of pitching. Uh, because I think their offenses, while the Red Sox are a slightly better offense, I think the Mariners' offense can stick up to any team. They can put runs up. Uh, they get cold quick, and they don't score in clutch situations similar to Toronto, but at some point that may level out. Um, but I think the Yankees are toast. And my question to you, and my question was going to be for Michael as well, is Aaron Boone done? I think so. I mean, there were there were rumors, what was it, last year, like midseason, that he might go, and the Yankees are well-known for not firing midseason. Mm-hmm. Um, if the Yankees finish in fifth place, under 500, I, I, don't, I don't see how he comes back. I mean, I feel like he's been on, on the hot seat for a while. And 
maybe I've wanted him to be, you know, as a little biased <laughs> for 2003, but, um, <laughs> ouch. Yes, I guess so. Um, but I mean, it just, you know, it doesn't seem like the team's clicking and I really, this year, I don't think it's his fault. I, I mean, I don't think any, any manager, even if you take, you know, Joe Madden in his prime who did Houdini tricks with, with the, the right. devil is back then, um, could have put, put this team in a playoff team. Um, you know, there, there's too many injuries and too many holes. And, you know, the Yankees, I know, before the season started, were really trying to trade Hicks, who you noted they cut. They were trying to get rid of Donaldson and, you know, open themselves up to be able to go spend some money in other places that they couldn't do with some of these right. higher higher uh, salaries of these guys. So, um, you know, Rizzo, obviously, like we talked about, is, is tapered off a lot, and that's hurt the team as well. And mm-hmm. They, the fault they of his own, to be like, honest, but yes, I, I totally agree. Yeah, and so it just doesn't feel like a team that that really has any momentum. And even if they got it, I feel like it'd have to be short lived. They don't they don't have a rotation, really. I mean, mm-hmm. an average an average baseball fan that's you know maybe you know in New York maybe could name one starter on that team right now. I mean, they don't they don't have a solid you know rotation. Cortez is nowhere what he was last year too. Maybe he's been hurt. Right, yeah. hasn't he? Nestor's out. You've got Trevino, who hasn't been uh, – not Trevino, uh, Severino, excuse me, uh, who, like you said, who's been a shell of himself. Herman had to check himself into rehab. Your big addition, Rodon, where's he been? He's been hurt all year, right, uh, which you had to kind of expect. Um, but Garrett Cole, and then who else? <laughs> really, that's it. Cole Schmidt and – Frankie Montes hasn't thrown a pitch this year. He was your big addition at the trade deadline last year. Um, as Brito, uh, and I, I'm a I'm a baseball fan, and I'm trying to struggle to find the rest of that pitching staff. And of course, they lost again tonight, so that is five in a row. They are now under 500, 60 and 61, and dead last. I know that that makes you smile. Uh, as a Red Sox fan, you would actually I would have assumed you wanted. Aaron Boone to stay as the manager because that would just mean continuously fail uh, as as a Yankees organization. But I would probably call. I think that I think they're cooked. I think they are done, um, and I do think that they need to start making changes. Um, I don't think that AL East is as strong as it looked even four weeks ago, right at the trade deadline or even at the All Star break. That was the division, and I'd say right now it's the. The AL West, because even if the Angels haven't been as great since the All-Star break, they're still just about 500, if not slightly above 500. They, they're kind of one of those teams that bounces back and forth uh, as well. But I think the AL West, just because the quality between the Rangers and the Astros, I think might be a little bit better than the Orioles and the Rays at this point in time. And then the Mariners and the Red Sox and the uh, Blue Jays are kind of uh, even at that point. Now, that's all the AL. The AL um, East and the AL West, the AL Central, well, we're not going to talk about because the Twins, they probably have that. Uh, the Guardians kind of are a scrappy team. But uh, the NL, the NL West really is starting to take off, at least the team in the AL West, or the NL West, excuse me. The Los Angeles Dodgers, they've won nine in a row. Uh, as of this broadcast, they are getting ready to take on the Brewers to try to make it 10 in a row. All of a sudden, they're 72 and 46. It seemed like it happened like that. Yeah. I mean, I, I believe you and you and Bernsey talked about it a little bit in last week's episode is that that offense isn't anywhere near as as big of a juggernaut as it's been. Obviously, you know, 
they had a, a, a guy that they were counting on preseason um, in, in Gavin Lux that, that tore his ACL, unfortunately. And that mm-hmm. really changed that, that whole outlook of the team. Like, Gavin Lux wasn't going to make the, make or break them as a playoff team, but he was going to be a solid contributor to that team. Exactly. Ability. I mean, you, you lose a guy like Trey, Trey Turner, that, that's a big hole, and he was never going to fill that, although mm-hmm. Turner's been... He's been picking it up as of late, but he's right. been okay this season. Um, but yeah, you kind of you kind of looked at that stability that he was going to provide. He had big league experience. He's been with the club for a while, so um, in terms of in, in their system for a while, right? Um, and you know th- they have picked it up, and you know it'll be interesting. Um, not this Saturday, but the following Saturdays that the Red Sox and Dodgers are actually playing each other. The the reunion of teams, Kike Hernandez, Mookie Betts, J.D. Martinez, all come yeah. back to Boston. And there's, you know, a couple couple of Dodgers, obviously, Justin Turner for the Red Sox. And um, we have some of, some old pitchers, too. So it's going to be a, a fun reunion in, in those regards. But, yeah, the Dodgers are, are clicking right at the right time. And you have so many veterans and guys that have won. Obviously, Dave Roberts knows how to win in, in, in the most clutch spots. And, right. But you have hitters, too, that, that have done it. Um, J.D. Martinez obviously is, is a tremendous batter, even though, you know, he had a down year last year, has picked it up tremendously this year. Right. Uh, Mookie Betts is, is starting to do some Mookie Betts things. And yet you have a great bullpen um, as well. And that rotation, Clayton Kershaw, as long as he stays healthy, you can't count him out. Um, you know, they have the pieces, especially you get Walker Bueller potentially coming back. He's rehabbing, like they're getting healthier too. Yeah, and you, Freddie Freeman could potentially be the MVP, and he's just consistent. Uh, Reed Detmers is going through seven. He just ended the seventh inning. Here's my question. He's at 104 pitches through seven innings. Do you think he comes back? I mean, I feel like the answer has to be no. I mean, you're you're the Angels, like we were talking about. They're, they've been stumbling a bit since the All-Star break. They, they went to make some acquisitions. It's a game you have to win, mm-hmm. and you need to Serve a pitcher for the rest of the season. Right. You can't I, be skipping him in the rotation. You, you got to have him go on five days, and you got to play the. You got to play baseball's a long season. You got to play the whole season here and not not worry about the accolade. He's done it before. Yep. I protect him. Yep. Fifty nine and sixty two coming into tonight. Eight games back of the final wild card spot for the L A Angels, the other team in Los Angeles, the team in that NL West that was. A juggernaut, at least it looked like for the first half, was the Arizona Diamondbacks, and they have fallen off the face of the earth. Uh, they have had a couple of games in a row where they have won. They have now won two in a row, four and six in their last ten. But they hadn't won a game in August until they won the other day. Uh, they've been a far disappointing team. They led that division, I believe, at the beginning of July. They're 12 and a half games back. Um, they made the move for Paul Seawald in the bullpen. And then they went on an eight-game losing streak at the worst time because the Dodgers went on a nine-game winning streak. So they lost every game that they lost. They lost a game. Uh, I think that they're a scary team down the road. I said at the beginning of the season, I don't think that they have it all together this year. They've got a young team. This was the year to time to learn how to win, and then next year I think it's the year that you make your moving year. Uh, but they've had a rough go of it as of late. What's the biggest surprise to you? I know you're a huge fantasy player, but as far as the Diamondbacks, what was the biggest change, I think, for them? Yeah, I mean, their, their manager's great. Obviously, he has Red Sox ties as well. With <laughs> Third base coach, wasn't he? Yes, um, and I, th- I think he was a great mind, and, um, you know, that's that's a big get for them. Um, 
but I feel like they're still a young team. Um, they don't have a ton of people on that that I look at that say has that playoff experience. So I think, you know, even being in a playoff hunt for a little bit, you know, Corbin Carroll's been amazing for them this year. Probably, you know, everyone thought he had the potential, but I don't think people put him necessarily where he was this early in his career. I think he's hitting the strides of where people saw him mm-hmm. at some time to adjust. Um, so I feel like that's a big step forward for them. Although he kind of reminds me a bit of going back to Seattle, a little bit of Julio Rodriguez, who was better than people expected in his rookie year. And Julio's still having a great year, but I mean, that average isn't where you would have expected it to be. Um, He looked fantastic last night. I think he had four RBIs and a couple big hits for the team. But, um, you know, I see a lot of parallels between them. Um, Maybe they're, I think, maybe trending a year earlier than they anticipated. And, you know, they, they made some moves to try to do it. And I think they can learn from this experience. But you know, they had some issues too. I mean, not that you expected Madison Bumgarner to, to win the Cy Young this year, but you cut him earlier in the season who mm-hmm. wasn't doing anything for you. So, I mean, there's still some things to that team that I think they're probably an arm or two away. Um, I know I know you and Bernsey have talked about his last name, and I can't pronounce it any better than, than you guys could with Padiff. Uh, <laughs> fart, yeah. But, I, yes. call him, I call him fart because it sounds like, but it's fart, yeah. P-F-A-A-D-T. He hasn't been that great so far for them, and that's obviously someone that they were counting on to step up. Um, And so that's why I'm not saying necessarily they don't have the talent within the system, but they're probably missing that veteran arm, and I agree. They they shouldn't have gone after a Scherzer or a Verlander at the deadline. That that wasn't the right move for that team, but they probably need a a veteran ace like that that they wanted Bumgarner to be when they signed him is that veteran presence that's won before, um, which is really what I think they need to, to go to the next step. And, and there aren't going to be incredible arms on the market next year, but already looking ahead, I believe Blake Snell is going to be an arm that's going to be out there. Shohei, I don't think that they're in the running for Shohei, but uh, they do need a guy who's been there, done that. Uh, maybe it's a trade down the road. Uh, I'm not going to dive into that yet because we're still in the middle of the season and we'll get into the offseason moves here when we get to the offseason. But the Diamondbacks have been in a free fall. The Cubs losing tonight, I have to say it, to the White Sox, 3 to nothing in the top of the eighth. Shohei Otani stepping to the plate versus Aroldis Chapman right now as we're watching here in the top of the eighth. Uh, To put a bow on it, Red Sox did lose to the Nationals. I'm sorry. Houston Astros beat the Miami Marlins 12 to 5. And then the Cleveland Indians. Ooh, there's a fine. Uh, I got to put another dollar in the jar. That's 10 for me. Uh, the Cleveland Guardians lost to the uh, Cincinnati Reds here in Cincinnati, uh, 7-2. to Tampa, as I mentioned earlier, they did get the win in San Francisco. That's a big race for the NL wildcard as well because San Francisco, I believe, holds the second spot at this point. Um, I've got to relook at the standings, but... Between the Cubs, the Reds, and the Marlins, who are all fighting for that final spot in the wild card right now in the NL, uh, that's going to be a good race. Um, I think it's going to come down to the final week of the season, obviously. But Arizona only in a game and a half back of Miami for the final wild card, as the Marlins and the Reds are tied at this point. The, the Giants are only a game and a half up on the final wild card spot there. So a close NL wild card as well. And I think that's what I love about that expansion to the playoffs, right? Last year was the first year of six teams rather than that one-game playoff. It keeps teams in the mix. Even if you look at it, the Mets are only seven and a half back 
of a final wild card spot, even though they are last or they were last in that division a few days ago. Uh, Washington's just a even Washington's eight and a half back at the wild card. Not saying that they're going to win it, but for this far, as bad as some of these teams have been, that's a lot closer than I would have expected. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you you have to look at that wild card race, and the NL was, in my opinion, way more active. Like you saw the Cubs go out and they, they traded for people. I mean, there a lot of those wild card teams that you just named were were super active in the deadline, and I think that's what like you said, keeps that race so close um, is you had a lot of teams that bought and a mm-hmm. lot of teams went and got pieces to compete and they have been competing. Um, so I think that definitely adds a layer to that race much more than really any other division. I mean, unless you count, obviously, the Central with the two biggest pitchers that got traded at the deadline going going to that. Um, but outside of that, more players, I feel like, moved into that in a wild card race than any other playoff race that exists. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the one team that really didn't make too many additions is Cincinnati Reds, currently in the final spot as of today, tied with the Marlins. So I believe that would be a tiebreaker rather than a game 163, I think, with the new rules. Uh, and I think that the Reds would take that. I'm not 100% sure. I think it's head-to-head on if it's three and three, I think it goes to your divisional record. Uh, and I believe the Reds have a better record within their division than the Miami Marlins do at this point in time. So the NL wild card is going to be a big race. Uh, also a big race, at least at one point, it seemed to be Shohei Otani, whether he was going to be able to catch Aaron Judge. This is what I like to call our token Shohei Otani talk. Uh, I don't think the Triple Crown's as much in reach as it was even last week. Last week, we thought it was a chance, as you talked, Bernsey and I. He's now down to fifth when it comes to batting average, so it's going to be a big hurdle to jump, especially if Bo's going to be back within the next week or two because uh, he's above him. you got Yandy above him, and two other people have now jumped above him. Home runs, he's going to win by far, unless he gets hurt. Uh, Luis Roberts, I believe, 10 home runs behind him. But RBIs, he's now behind Kyle Tucker. And Adelise Garcia by seven. So I think the Triple Crown, probably not. But he's st- is it still, to to you, the best season ever played by a player in MLB history? Yeah. I mean, I don't think there's any way to argue that. Um, you know, what, what he does on the mound and, you know, what he does at the plate, it's just, you know, it's, it's mm-hmm. hard to beat. Um, there's no reason why he, you know, shouldn't be getting MVP and Cy Young votes um, on both sides of it. And, he should take them. Um, mm-hmm. And it's it's just been an incredible year. I mean, you don't see that every year. And, you know, I feel like you always see players play their best season when they're impending free agents. Oh, they, seem to, uh, they seem to find a different level. But, I mean, the contract that he's playing for is far different than any contract we'll ever see again. Um, so, I mean, yeah, it's just it, it all around it. It's doing things that, that have never been done. And, Probably the only reason the Angels bought, you know, there was mm-hmm. talks of them buying to try to show him that they, they're willing to go for it. But I, I don't feel like he's coming back to the Angels regardless, Not even if the no. playoffs, unless they, they went on a deep playoff run. Um, I, I thought it was a foregone conclusion that he was going to leave. Um, but I mean, he's, he's doing things that we've never seen before. And, you know, you're going to see people try to emulate and, Regardless of what they do, I just don't know how anyone else stacks up to what he is doing. Agreed. Agreed 100% in full. Uh, But he still hadn't, real quick, right now, off the top of your head, where do you think he ends up next year? 
Um, I mean, I really think a lot of it really depends on how the, the free agent market shapes out with other players. I feel like it's going to be a slow-moving free agent market next year um, because I feel like everyone's going to be waiting for where does Shohei go. And a lot of other names are going to kind of sit in limbo because teams that are have the financial ability to go for him aren't going to go for those bigger names right off the bat because they need to save the money. Um, I would have said the Mets had they not sold obviously Verlander and Scherzer. And obviously they kind of came out and said, the team isn't competing next year. And that's kind of what we were told. That's why we waived our no trade clause. Um, you know, the New York Yankees are going to be at the top of the list going for him. Um, I feel like, I feel like it's going to be the Dodgers. Um, I feel like it's going to be West coast. I mean, Shohei really didn't have interest in the Red Sox or Yankees when he was first coming up. He wasn't really interested in East Coast. Um, I know he probably is at that point where maybe he wavers on that because he's more concerned about winning and playing in playoff games. Um, but if the Yankees and Red Sox finish four and five in their division, even though they have the money to spend, I don't think that that makes them runaway contenders for him either. So, I mean, I feel like he stays out west. The Dodgers have the money. The Dodgers always seem to be the team, team to do it. I mean, maybe San Diego makes a couple trades um, to free mm-hmm. up some salary cap and some salary space, um, and maybe they maybe they go into the running for him. Obviously, Machado was going to come off the books; he resigned, so he stays. Soto could come off the books for them, so I feel like they. I feel like it could be them and the Dodgers, and I feel like that could define that division for a couple years. Maybe even the Giants go for it too. So. I would say that I think it's the Dodgers, the Giants, the Mariners, and I'm going to throw the Cubs in there as a wild card team just off the bat. The Cubs were a runner-up. A lot of people don't realize that he was going to go to the Cubs if it wasn't for the fact that the NL didn't have a DH at that point in time. Um, so he ended up going to L.A. And speaking of L.A., uh, the Angels did said, re- send Reed Detmers out to go for the no-hitter. And First batter of the eighth inning, Marcus Simeon, base hit, and Detmers is now pulled from the game after uh, one pitch in the top of the eighth inning. So he's done. The no-hitter is done after seven innings. Uh, tip, the cl- tip of the cap to Reed Detmers. Um, well done, sir. But a pretty good game out in Texas as the Angels and the Rangers are playing. It's a big game for the Angels, honestly, of the two teams. Uh, but it is also a big game for the Rangers as well as they need to try to stay uh, ahead of the Astros who pummeled the Marlins earlier tonight. Real quick, uh, rules. I love the rule changes. I don't know about you. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I, they've grown on me throughout the season. Um, you know, I, I was not a fan of the pitch clock. Um, I was very concerned about injuries because of it to start the year. And obviously there, there's your slew of injuries, but I don't look at it that there's been any more injuries to pitchers mm-hmm. than, than normal. And that, that was my biggest concern. Um, so, you know, I, I like it. I mean, I feel like there's still going to be some sort of tweak needed to the stolen bases. I, I enjoy seeing stolen bases. Mm-hmm. Uh, I enjoy it, but it feels like it's taken to a different level, maybe a little bit more than they were expecting. Um, so I feel like maybe there's some tweak in that, but you know, overall it's been you know really good. It's positive for the game. The games are faster. There's there's still pitching jams. There's a few more runs being scored, and you know your mm-hmm. average fan wants to go and see, you know, runs being scored. They don't like pitchers' duels as much as I feel like they would have back in the day. Um, 
So, I mean, it's, it's been a positive as a fan of the game that obviously cares about the game and wants to see the mm-hmm. game's longevity. I feel like it's been positive and drawing interest in and the attendance and the, the viewership's been up across the boards and that's the important thing. So, Yeah, and you, you mentioned attendance. As of today, if you were to compare the first 1,801 games in baseball to the first 1,801 games in baseball this year to last year, there's a 4,618,000 attendance bump, which averaged to about each game about 2,500 fans. But if you were to think about that as a whole, that's $100 a fan, that's a lot of money. It's 2,564 times 100. You're looking, you're looking at 200,000 additional dollars just on the ticket alone. Uh, and I'm not just looking at money, but still, I think the interest is there. Every team except the Brewers, ironically, um, because they're down 1,900. They're about even. Same with the Dodgers. The Dodgers are 598 less fans this year at this point compared to last year, which who knows, it could be a bad weather day or they just had too many games in April. Uh, but really, the team there are three teams who have – less attendance and those are teams that are kind of up the track the nationals the rockies and detroit tigers every other team has more fans this year than they did at this point last year and that's even including uh, the oakland athletics who last year still stunk but this year they've already had about ten thousand more per game uh, excuse me one thousand more per game more than they did last year of this difference of 76,000. Uh, so it's up all across the board. Uh, I think it's good for the game, the new rules personally, and we'll get into that after the season as a whole podcast. But I do think that there's more people involved. I do also think that it's better competitive teams from teams that weren't competitive in the last year. So Baltimore, Cincinnati's, Pittsburgh to start the year were that was the talk of the, other other than the Rays the Pirates were the class of the NL for the first month um, and other teams like Texas even Texas in the last year and so has made a big jump so uh, I, I do think the rules are making a big difference with attendance I like the action but I still think people like the pitchers duel when they get the pitchers duel right uh, or um, at least the other day, the Mariners-Baltimore Orioles game, I think it was Saturday night, was one of the best games of the night. That went into extras. George Kirby went nine innings, didn't give up a run, but I was on the edge of my seat the entire game. He didn't even get the decision because they lost an extra innings. But I think it's the pace, right? It, it, as someone who's been in multiple games this year, I feel like the games move faster, but you don't notice it until the end of the game. You're like, oh, damn, that game's already over. Yeah, and I was listening to the, the Red Sox broadcast earlier, and they had a couple um, couple ex-players in the booth, and I, I don't remember if it was Kevin Millar or if it was Lou Merloni that said it. They were both in the booth tonight. And they said, um, you know, I honestly kind of forgot that the pitch clock was there. I don't even really notice it anymore unless there's a violation. It's right. become second nature. Like, they were, you know, they're obviously color commentaries. And so they're, you know, they're focusing on it and they're watching it at every point of the game and they said they've even kind of forgot about it it's just it's flown into the game so seamlessly that unless there's an issue you're not looking like he's got to throw the ball right now or he's got to get in the box in one second you kind of just forgot about that and it just it just flows at this point so 
I totally agree. Well, Keith, uh, I'm going to jump into our top 10 power rankings. Michael's not here, so we're not going to list his off. But you can always get these uh, on our YouTube page exclusively. So go ahead on over there. If you're watching on YouTube, just hit that subscribe button below. But if you haven't watched on YouTube yet and you're listening on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon, Google, or iHeartRadio Podcasts, this is your push to go check out our YouTube page. Every week, Monday morning, we put out our top 10 power rankings, which are brought to you by 10th Mountain Whiskey and Spirit Company. Don't forget, go to 10thwhiskey.com. Use promo code BNB for 10% off your order. Again, that is promo code capital BNB for 10% off your order, and that's anything. We're talking whiskey, rye whiskey, bourbon. They've got gin. They've got brandy, whatever it is there, or Go grab yourself a shirt, Glenn's, or they've got a bunch. They sell barrels. You can buy barrels and get 10% off barrels. Uh, so whatever it is, go check that out. Michael's not here, so you're not going to get his top 10, but you're going to get mine. Uh, number 10 for me this week, Milwaukee Brewers. Nine, Toronto Blue Jays. Eight, the Seattle Mariners. Seven, the Philadelphia Phillies. Six, Tampa Bay Rays. Five, Houston Astros. Fourth, the Texas Rangers. And I'm going to let you go on over to our YouTube page to get those final three. And again, that is Barrels and Barrels Pod on YouTube. Just hit the subscribe button and you'll get all our videos anytime you go on YouTube.com. Keith, any last words or thoughts? Uh, thank you again for joining us. This has been great having baseball talk with you. I'm bummed Michael couldn't be here because we love geeking out with other people about baseball. But uh, what are your thoughts about the season as a whole? Any Bourbon Thieves thoughts or Bourbon thoughts that you want to get off your chest? This is the time to do it. Yeah, you know, I, I, I will say, you know, there was uh, a great thief today in baseball. Um, there was a great play. I haven't got to watch it yet, so I didn't bring it up yet. Um, um, but I heard, I heard there was an incredible baseball play today um, out in the field in our earlier games because we had games starting at 1 o'clock today and, and all over. So it's, it's one of those weird baseball days where there's baseball on all day. So it's yeah, great to I love it. It's a great time. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I feel like, you know, it's, it's been a fun season. I feel like the playoffs are going to be the more open than we've ever seen before. I don't think that regardless of who makes the playoffs, there's going to be a clear-cut favorite right. more so this year than, than any other year. I mean, you saw the run the Phillies went on, and the Phillies are getting on another run, so you kind of look at right. them. And, um, you know, I'm just excited to, you know, get into the colder weather and, and you know, see the, see the baseball, you know, in the playoffs where, where we get that out here in New England. Um in those styles. So, um, you know, I'm looking forward to seeing what happens. You know, I hope either the Cubs or the Red Sox make it. So I have someone that I like to root for in yeah. it. Um, but if Cody Bellinger keeps being old Cody, Cody <laughs> Bellinger, you know, that that's possible. So, um, you know, it's, it's all about community and that's, that's what makes the fun of everything. So. 100%. And thanks again for joining us this evening. This is Barrels and Barrels, a bourbon and baseball podcast. We talk high proof and high heat. We had a high proof whiskey and a low proof whiskey on the show today. So go check us out on Instagram at Barrels and Barrels Pod, Facebook at Barrels and Barrels Pod. That is the same handle you can find us on TikTok and YouTube. Uh, our Twitter slash X handle is at barrels and barrels and our email barrels and barrels pod. Uh, excuse me. That is barrels and barrels at gmail.com. I'm just stuck in that barrels and barrels pod mode. Uh, you can also buy uh, a hat, t-shirt or Glen Karen's glasses. Keith is holding his up. I've got mine here. We've got wisdom to us or regular, just Glen Karen's. If you want to go check those out. 
Head on over to us, email us for the link, or head on over to our Instagram page as well. I am Brandon. That is Keith stepping in for our normal host, Michael Burns. You can find Keith on Instagram at New England Whiskey. So go give him a follow. Tell him what you thought about his uh, his pinch hitting is what I'm going to call it tonight. He pinch hit for Michael Burns tonight on Barrels and Barrels. Keith, once again, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Uh, last thing. Go listen to us on Apple, Spotify, Amazon, Google, or iHeartRadio podcasts. You've listened before. Do you know how Michael ends this show? Um, you know, I don't believe I can remember how he ended it. I was listening earlier, and um, you know, I didn't quite didn't quite get to finish uh, the episode. I was trying to re- remember it. <laughs> well, he does it in the most white boy way possible, and that is with two words: Let's go.